Hi, welcome to the Purple and Bold podcast, another episode here. I'm Shane Metlin with uh, Noah Fleischman. We are the JMU beat writers at the Daily News Record and talking a little bit of everything JMU sports. This week we're going to focus on uh, something a little bit different. I don't think we've talked any soccer yet since we started doing this again. Um, but big, big news for JMU men's soccer program today here on uh, Wednesday and uh, we'll get into some spring football too later. Uh, we'll be talking about that for the rest of spring, I'm sure. But uh, we'll start off with big Sunbelt news, Sunbelt men's soccer news. Um, everything, this has been rumored for months, like really since the uh, new Sunbelt came together. But they finally, you know, were able to work this out. I think, you know, the Conference USA stuff with a lot of those teams kind of kind of delayed announcing what everybody knew was happening, but the Sun Belt is bringing back men's soccer and they're going to have a really, really, really good men's soccer league, which is, um, which is big news for JMU because it was one of those teams. There was, you know, a few teams when they moved from the CA to the Sun Belt where the future wasn't exactly clear, even though, like I said, this has been rumored for a long time that the Sun Belt was going to bring back men's soccer and have some really good teams in that league as affiliates, which we'll get into the whole list here pretty soon. But it wasn't it wasn't official until today, uh, here in early April. And it's a big deal because this is really one of the premier programs JMU has as far as the success they've had on the field. It's been, you know, arguably outside of football, their best men's sports program uh, in recent years uh, with a big, a deep NCAA tournament run, 2018 been pretty consistent postseason team um this is a pretty big deal for jmu to once again just improve the status of one of their programs yeah no i mean this is exactly what you want if you're jmu men's soccer you end up in this conference which is full of probably it's full of a lot of talented teams and and jmu kind of being able to keep it within the Sun Belt, not having to find another another league was kind of worked out the best shape for for them but overall i mean as you said, an expected announcement, but today, finally, everything is official. They've got a schedule now, and I get, I'm sure we'll get into all that in just a second. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I'm sure they're going to play another tough non-conference schedule, but the conference schedule just really jumps up a huge notch. And we've talked about this kind of over and over again, like what the Sunbelt move means for the variety of programs at JMU. It's obviously it's a big step up for football. It's a big step up for softball and baseball. It's, you know a lateral move at worst for basketball teams overall the entire athletic department benefits i'm not sure if anybody is making as big a jump you know maybe football but i don't know if anybody's making as big a jump as the uh men's soccer team is now with getting into the sun belt as we you know we'll, we'll run down the whole list of teams here in just a second but it, it's you know remarkable that all of a sudden a jmu team a james madison team is in Arguably, I mean, the ACC is probably still the best men's soccer league. The Sun Belt might be number two. Like it, it's it's a power league for this particular sport. Yeah, I mean, this move to the Sun Belt from people from looking afar, it looks like it's just a football move. But when you really break it down, as you said, baseball jumping up into a league where there's six teams, I think, or five teams that are in the top 100 of the RPI. You look at the soccer move, you got a bunch of teams. I think, and you said in the top 75 of the RPI. So, I mean, this is a move that's good for a lot of JMU athletic programs. And when you look at soccer, I mean. When you're about to name these schools, I mean, these are schools including Marshall, who who won the national title in 2020. So, I mean, this is not going to be an easy 
conference play for them, but definitely is going to give you an opportunity to build a resume to make an at-large bid for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and you know we talked about so much with the move and why JMU didn't make the FBS jump a decade ago was the talk of a regional conference, and it doesn't even get more regional than what they're kind of have for soccer because it's not the entire... 14 team Sunbelt that's the you know the all sports members it's really concentrated here in this region from Virginia down to Georgia and uh, you know going west a little bit but you're not making those trips out to you're not, Te- to you're not going to Arkansas you're not going to Texas for a non-revenue sport and you're going to have some you know there have been some pretty big crowds at Centera Park for some men's soccer games here in recent years um you know they do a good job with the promotions of that, getting people in student groups and Greek houses and everything to come out to uh, different big games. And you know they're going to have a bunch of big name teams on the schedule here for the foreseeable future because of this news. So I'll, I'll run through the whole list because I've just kind of been hitting at it here for a while now. But you know JMU obviously um, is joining along with the incoming members Marshall and ODU. Those are the Conference USA teams that are coming in. Southern Miss joining in every other sport won't have men's soccer. So, like we said, you're not going out there to Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas for these non-revenue games. Uh, you're bringing in very, very big regional rivals in Marshall, ODU, um, and then it's the current full Sun Belt members: Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, Georgia State. And then they're adding, it's a nine-team soccer league, so then they'll also bring in affiliate members, Kentucky, West Virginia, and South Carolina, because the Big 12 and the SEC don't sponsor med soccer, just as the Sun Belt didn't for the past year. Um, because, I mean, you just go through that geographical footprint, the Deep South, the Midwest, the, the, the Great Plains region, Tornado Alley, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. So those, those conferences... Soccer, particularly men's soccer, just traditionally was not a big deal. I mean, obviously that sport continues to grow in popularity across the country and everything. Mm-hmm. But, you, I mean, I grew up in Kansas 20 years ago when I was in high school. You know, a lot of high schools didn't even have, like in small towns, didn't even have boys' soccer teams or girls' soccer teams. Mm-hmm. So, like, those schools, you know, it wasn't ever a priority to add men's soccer at, you know, Kansas State, the University of Kansas Oklahoma, and then they add women's as a Title IX thing, and then it gets that much more difficult to add a men's program. So this benefits JMU as they build a new Sun Belt because the Big 12 and SEC don't really have that men's soccer tradition, but they have a few really, really good programs in Kentucky, West Virginia. South Carolina's been very good in the past. It's a little down, but you know you have to think you know they have potential to you know really be a powerhouse too when they come in. So now... JMU is in it, – it's not a revenue sport. It's not a sport that gets a ton of media coverage, although, you know, Keith Gill talked about this in a press conference a little bit today, the Sunbelt commissioner, that you need to have a lot of content when you're in this partnership with ESPN and helping them build their streaming platform. So, you know, these big top 25 soccer matches are actually a big deal when it comes to – a league like the Sun Belt negotiating their rights and getting paid through TV deal. Um, it's a big deal. And, you know, to just to be on, if you're JMU and you're now 
in a conference in a sport that is arguably you know one of the best two or three conferences that's you know for where the school was just a few decades ago moving up into the division one ranks it's it's pretty startling people would never probably guessed in a million years if they went to jmu in the early 80s that this is where the school would be that they could be at a top level in something like this yeah i mean this is a this is a conference that on the press conference today some of the coaches even hinted at that it's going to help you build a resume kind of to get that large bid. And this is a conference that's going to have multiple teams probably in the tournament next year. You don't have to win the conference tournament to get there. And I think that's probably a good thing for, you know, JMU Men's Soccer trying to look at, you know, building that program even more and, and playing these top teams. I mean, you talked about with Marshall kind of leading the way, just having the most success in recent. But, I mean, overall, when you have kind of an ESPN deal now as well as moving in, and I think you might see the soccer as a whole, kind of grow bigger popularity, now being easier to watch. You can have these top 25 matchups, right, with, with Marshall and, and other schools. And so I think overall it's, it's a great move. It'll help not only build the Sunbelt men's soccer uh, conference back up, but also help build these schools that are playing against these these na- big-name programs in the conference, kind of build their program. So JMU may even see an increase recruiting-wise, just knowing that you're in one of the top soccer programs in the in the country now yeah and you know jmu coach paul zazinski was on the call with all the other coaches in the conference and the commissioner and um you know he didn't hold back at all like throwing a little shade at the caa and just you know that they're really stepping up and hofstra was good in men's soccer this year they were a really good program i think they finished top 15 or so rpi and made a run in the ncaa tournament but that's not common for there to necessarily be another top level team in the CAA and you know, JMU's had to have those non-conference games with Virginia and Georgetown and Wake Forest and Marshall to have a chance at an at-large resume and even sometimes that wasn't enough um, you know not you know you're not scheduling Marshall as a non-conference game to build your resume anymore that's a you know, conference, yeah that's a, that's a that's a big conference game uh, getting you ready for a conference tournament and you know, it just it just goes down the list. Like, really, Georgia Southern does not have a great soccer program. But other than that, it, the entire conference is you know really good, really really solid programs. I think I think I was counting it up before. I think at least six have won NCAA tournament games in the past four or five years. Yeah, um, they said over a hundred NCAA tournament games played. Yeah, think, between all these schools. But they're not just going to the NCAA tournament; they're they're winning. Yeah games and advancing like you know, national champions yeah national championship marshall uh a few years ago uh kentucky and jmu were both in the quarterfinals uh yep. you know these teams are not just making it to the NCAA tournament they're they're advancing and uh you know sweet 16 teams and you know winning in the first round so it it's been they've had impressive runs and now they're putting them together it, it's pretty remarkable and it's it's kind of crazy that uh a good chunk of these teams were playing in conference usa last year as conference usa continues to kind of fall, fall apart. apart i mean is that it, it, they're, they're they were just hurt by realignment so much in, in in every aspect of it it's it's really kind of crazy no i think it is, i think it is but also i think this is a good move not only yes you talk about it's regional right you so you have odu in this conference so you try to build that odu jamie rivalry this is going to be a, a kind of a good place to start but on top of having football kind of in that same situation but you also don't have to go far. What's the farthest trip? So uh, Georgia Southern, as I can't talk today. But other than that, 
most of the trips are pretty close. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Georgia Southern would be by far the farthest trip, I think. And, you know, you got Georgia State. You're right there in Atlanta. So, I mean, I don't know if they'd fly to that one, but if you do, it's the you know, easiest, easiest place in the country to fly to. And, um, you know, bus trips to Kentucky and West Virginia, Marshall, South yeah, South Carolina. It, it's Yeah, it, you talk about that regional aspect of it. If, if you could put this conference together in all the other sports, it would be – Something, something incredible. I mean, I mean, you know, take you know football away from it. If you could just have your, if you could have your non-revenues in a conference that looks like this, like it's the ideal. It, it, yeah, it's the athletic director's dream, like to do that, and um, it, it's, it's a big deal. And like I said, college soccer is it's an interesting thing because I mean everybody knows it's not. This is you know far from the top level of soccer in this country, let alone in the world. Um, but it's it's an entertaining game at this level. And it seems like, from what I've seen, it seems like it's something that the JMU student body can embrace when the soccer team is doing pretty well. Um, you, you know, Maybe it's not a ton of like local families out at these games, but the, really the student groups, I've seen them get out to Centera Park for some of these you know, top 10, top, they've hosted the number one team in the country a couple times here in the last few years. And the place is packed and kids are having fun. So, I mean, it's, it's just something that beyond, you know, we talk kind of the nuts and bolts and the dollars and cents and everything of it. It's another thing that just makes the experience of being at JMU and being in Harrisonburg a fun experience because it's just more stuff going on here. Yeah, I mean, not, you you touch you hit the head you hit the you hit that one perfectly. I mean, just talking about how you know have so many good good matches coming to Centera Park next year and in the future, and that this will really help kind of just bring more people out every game. And instead of having one or two top fifteen, three top fifteen, you may have your whole non your whole conference schedule could have a lot of ranked teams on it, and I think that'll kind of help in the future. But overall, I think it's just a good move for the Sun Belt to kind of take these teams that they already had, the six that are kind of full members, and you bring in the three affiliates that are three really quality programs coming in from, from South Carolina, West Virginia, and um, I'm forgetting. Kentucky. Kentucky, yes. Yeah, yeah which might have been the best of that group last year. I mean, debatable with Marshall, but uh, yeah, Kentucky's coming off a really good season. So, um, yeah, b- big-time stuff for the soccer program right now. I mean, I we listened to Paul talk during that conference, and I think I might talk to him on the phone again later today after we did the recording. It sounded like a guy who couldn't have been happier with where his program wound up after probably having the most disappointing thing happen to them among all the JMU. Like, they were soccer and volleyball when their postseason got taken out from under them when JMU left the CAA. They were days away from starting that tournament and were, you know, a bubble NCAA tournament team. And so taking that away from them just at the timing and everything, probably nobody probably nobody, nobody took it harder than Paul Zazinski. So to hear him today with how happy he is about the move, it, it, it does it's nice to hear, you know, somebody, you know, coming through on the other side with uh, everything working out in that regard. Yeah, I mean that's what you you want when you make a move like this and so good for jmu i mean as a whole and getting ready for for the fall and moving forward from there yeah uh there'll be some other games this fall that i think people will be interested in 
across campus from Centera Park. Uh, so slightly, yeah. What have you seen? Uh, yeah, more Sunbelt move action that I think people are pretty excited about. What have you seen from the American football team over there uh, as, as you've watched a lot of the spring practice so far? No, American football is it's looking good out there. I mean, they're missing twelve to fourteen guys, or either starters or second string that will play a lot this year and, and that's just to post the kind of off-season surgeries and injuries they're kind of rehabbing and they're unfortunately missing two pieces on the offensive line you're missing some people some receivers they can't go four wide right now um at receivers so it's kind of like well they can with one group but they really can't after that they, they, they've got enough for three teams they're only working with eight receivers total right now so not the best but overall outside of that is they're looking fine out there they've got quarterback competition going between really three but mainly two quarterbacks with Todd Santeo and, and Billy Atkins. Alonzo Barnett getting a lot of action with the twos and threes. They're kind of just trying to work him in as much as possible. You can tell he's a freshman. Heck, he's, not, he's still supposed to be in high school right now, but I mean, the way the ball comes out of his hand is kind of different than you might see out of a, a 17, 18-year-old quarterback. you got Todd Santeo and Billy Atkins, the two that are probably really fighting for the, the starting job at this point. And, and Kurt Cignetti said that all three quarterbacks have done well. All three have had issues in practice, but, you know, it's, it's what happens in spring camp, and they all rebound the next day. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially in the spring game, kind of splitting them up. You get to see Santeo and Atkins kind of going at it um, a little bit more. But I don't know when we'll see a starting quarterback named. My guess is probably not until August. Yeah, from what you've seen between Santeo and Atkins, though, is either one have an edge at this point? I mean, they're really similar. We talked to a few guys that you know, asked them about them, and, you know, Tucker Dorsey really had an interesting comment basically saying he can tell that Santeo is a really good decision maker and, and can kind of make the decisions quick and, and know when to pull, it down, pull the ball down and run. And that's something that's going to be interesting this year just to watch in general is watching the quarterback, whoever it may be, um, they have the ability to take off and just go. And that's something that Jamie really hasn't seen at that position um, they also talk about Billy Atkins being really knowledgeable with the playbook, right? He, he was here last year as the backup. He's back again this year. He's trying to do that. But overall, between the two right now, they look pretty even when you watch them at practice for the open portions. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting. They both shine at times. They both struggle at times. But, I mean, we've got months, a couple months to figure it out for them. I mean, you talked a little bit about wide receiver, too. They're down. Yeah. Some guys, they don't, like you said, can't go four wide with every group. Um, yeah. Who who is out there playing right now? I mean, obviously we've been interested in some of the transfers of Terrence Green and stuff. Like, who's out there playing right now, and who is looking good as wide receiver if they're not at full strength? Yeah, I mean, you got Terrence. You got um, excuse me. You got Chris Thornton, who's you know probably wide receiver number one going into next year. He's looking good. Um, as Kurt Signetti said, he's, he's Chris Thornton. He makes plays no matter what it is. So they like what they see from him. Terrence Green is out there making plays for them. Um, you also look at receivers like Reggie Brown, um, kind of trying to work his way up the depth chart. And you look at a few other receivers that, that have shined at times with um, Ravenel also there. So, I mean, for the most part, they can't go. They don't have enough receivers really to do what I think they want to do. But the ones that are out there definitely are are looking good for what and they're happy with kind of what they, what they see so far. Yeah, Ravenel's a guy who was buried on the depth chart a little yep. bit last year and then just had, like, amazing play in the playoffs. Like, just the, the speed he showed on his touchdown catch there in that playoff game was, was unbelievable. Yeah. Is he a guy that we're going to see more of that from this year? Is he going to be one of their primary targets? I mean, they have some depth at wide receiver if they're healthy. 
is he going to get buried again, or is he a guy who has a chance to really make a difference? I think he's got a chance to make a difference, and I think the spring really – I mean, the playoffs, of course, showed what he can do, and I think the spring will have the opportunity to really run more of the ones and, and kind of show what he can do. And, I mean, when you're missing a few receivers that could be in that situation, it kind of gives him the opportunity to, to work his way up the depth chart even more, maybe be that two, three, four receiver, and I think that's exactly what Kurt Signetti probably will end up seeing from him. Um, so far, we we're halfway through spring camp, and – You've got a couple receivers that kind of missing time here and there, and, and that's giving the opportunity for him. And but you also got some of these receivers that you wouldn't expect. I mean, Holt Egan ran with the ones for a little bit. He's a sophomore receiver, got a limited action last year. So I mean, that's a guy you could see kind of work his way up. Not as high on the depth chart, but I think he may work his way into a few more snaps a game than he saw last year as well. Yeah, and um, talking about Ravenel is a good way to segue into talking a little bit. You know, brothers who have been in this program. You you wrote about the. Uh, the uh, Monte Tucker Dorsey and his younger brother now in the program. Tell me a little bit about, you know, we obviously know what Diamante is all about. Tell me a bit about what you've seen um, from talking to him, heard from talking to him about, you know, playing with his brother and just, you know, what both those guys have been able to do this spring. Yeah, Tyreek Tucker's younger brother came in early enrolled as a freshman. He's here on campus. He's on the defensive line, which is also a position that is, really banged up right now they don't have a lot of guys that are actually out there that that are the, the starters you've got some guys with postseason surgery so they're they're not going to play this spring and these guys been running with the twos on there on the d line and looks good and i mean he's got an opportunity to kind of add some depth there in the defensive line maybe we'll see some field and that's really what um diamante wants to see is he wants to get him on the field with them during the during the fall so they can actually play together they've never played a game on the same field at the same time so he hopes that you know Tyree can kind of work up the death chart and kind of get on the field at the same time and for them to enjoy that that's kind of when we talked to him he was like his face little when I brought up Tyreek and he's like he said this was kind of a thing that he's been looking forward to and now they finally are out there together this, this spring and, and doing things on the defensive side of the ball yeah it is interesting you know you think about this it's been a little bit of a common theme that mm-hmm. uh you know once a once a uh, family becomes a JMU football family, they're uh, they're in there. We see with the Ravenels, the Stapletons, you know, the Tuckers. Uh, it, I mean, you might see the Greens. They've got Mike Green's brother out of Highland Springs. He's being highly recruited. I mean, he's got offers from a lot of different places, but JMU I know has offered him as well. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, what does that say? I mean, some of this goes back even pre Signetti and this staff. So is this a institutional thing where people i mean we, we hear all the time like people who go to jmu like fall in love with jmu and you know dukes for life and get multiple degrees here and everything but like is there something also about like the way Signice put his staff together like every, everybody when they're recruiting and talking to the media and everything everybody every coach in every sport in the country preaches that this is a family yeah and we obviously know sometimes that's more true than yeah. at some places than others um so is that, like, an actual real focus for this particular coaching staff that, like, you know, they're not different than anybody else. Like, they're guys who come in here and don't do what they're supposed to do and get run off and, you know, or leave on their own accord or, you know, look for better situations. But it does seem like there is a significant – there is that family atmosphere to a degree because we see it with the siblings. We see – um you know, sons of people Signetti's coached other places wanting to come play for Signetti down the line. Like, it does seem like, you know, for a guy who 
you know, doesn't always show his personality so much. He does it from time to time, but isn't always like, you know, showing his personality to, to the world. Um, like how much is he able to kind of, you know, build that kind of atmosphere within the program? I think that, that it's an institutional thing, but I also think it's a signaty thing. I think you wouldn't want to come play for a guy that like, say your brother was here and played in a forum. And then if you didn't enjoy the experience, I don't think you'd, you'd talk to your younger brother and they're coming over. So definitely I think it's a both, but Signetti kind of showed his, his humor a little bit on April 1st. So after the practice was over, he uh, kind of told them all get on the end zone line and they were going to run. And it wasn't the best of practices that they've had this spring. And so I was like, well, they're about to run. And then as soon as they got to the line, he's like, oh, April Fool's. But overall, you know, he's shown his, his, his humor and, and personality at times. And obviously he's a guy who, he's from Al- in Alabama, Nick Saban coaching tree. He, he runs things professionally and it's, it's a business, but overall, I think it's both. I think it's an institutional thing, but I also think it's a coaching staff thing. And in that, this is a coaching staff. You see the assistants kind of messing around with people during warmups. You see them kind of just having fun, laughing. And I think that that's where a player wants to play, and not somewhere where you're just going to get yelled at or, or overworked or things like that. So I think it's definitely an institutional thing for part of it. But they also is you know the coaching staff's got to be that same level because they could be a great university and an awful coaching staff and you wouldn't want to go there. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at a guy like, you know, Q Reed here playing for Signetti after his dad played for Signetti at NC state where, where, you know, Kurt was an assistant and, you know, it's just like how many people in this world have played for football coaches that they would never, ever send their son to go play for. I mean, yeah. for a guy, you know, who's, Signetti is, you know, about as prototypical football coach as you can get. There, he does seem to have that kind of balance in his life and his approach that, you know, there's at least, you know, enough uh, balance to like the, I'll chew your ass sometimes, um, but sometimes I'm going to be the father figure that you need. Like, it seems like, you know, just from what you've seen in that regard when it comes to recruiting players that he has connection to from the past that. You know, there there must be something too, like the way he's doing that. He must be doing it right, at least on some level. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely doing it right on some level. I mean, you talk about these these transfers that come in, and and these are guys that spent time in other coaching staffs. And you ask them like, why come to JMU? Right? Obviously, moving to FBS is a big deal, but they also just talk about other things. JMU being a good, successful program in the past, and you talk about the coaching staff. So a lot of things that JMU as a whole really has built up has allowed these family members keep coming back and you're able, you're able to get bigger name recruits and things like that. So overall, it's a, it's a win-win for, for Jamie in recruiting, especially if you can get someone's younger brother that's just as good as, as they are. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about a lot of positive things. Beyond seeing some injuries, that, that's, that's the nature of spring. You're not going to risk yeah. much with anybody who's you know coming off surgery or had some trouble in the fall or whatnot. But is there anything of concern from what you've seen so far from being at practice? Um, I don't... A concern could be how many running backs are going to actually see the field because they're deep, really deep at running back right now. They've got probably four or five guys that got action last year, and so now they're all coming back ready for the fall. You've got Kalon Black, who's working on the side. He'll be back for the fall, healthy, ready to go. And so really, it's the I don't know if it's a concern, but it's more of a question mark of, how many? How deep are they going to go on the depth chart, right? And how many backs are we really going to see used? And it'll be interesting. I mean, Percy, of course, probably the starting back, and then you go down the depth chart from there, and it'll be interesting. You might have some guys leave. I don't know. 
haven't heard anything yet, but you could see guys think about leaving if they don't get a run because even after this season, you're only losing two backs out of that room. So, Yeah, and we've talked before about how the transfer cycle kind of like revs back up mm-hmm. after spring ball. Um, Jamie, you will be looking for some people who are leaving wherever they were for the spring and see where they are on the depth chart. Yep. And there could be some, you know, vice versa there, especially, I guess, you know, at running back. I mean, I hate, hate to speculate about individuals when I don't know their situation or anything. But, yeah, like you said, you look at um, where they are at running back. There's guys who know they can play somewhere but may look at JMU and say, I don't know if I can play here. Like, especially just, you know. With everyone's it. healthy, it's, it's a hard. That's a hard position to really crack if you're if you're not named a guy like Percy or Kalen Black or Latrell Palmer. You can start going down the depth chart. It's like after yeah. a while, where does where does it stop at the rotation? Yeah, but do you con? I mean, if you're the coaching staff, then do you try to convince some of these guys that, you know, yeah, Percy and you know maybe AJ Davis, those guys are going to get a lot of carries this year, but this is their last year yeah. for sure. And <laughs> and you know we've seen those guys both you know get injured over the course of a season before so i wonder how hard they work on trying to keep some of those guys around like to with the idea of like waiting your turn is going to pay off here but you got to wait your turn and yeah i mean you you look at the prime example of waiting your turn is cole johnson yeah i mean of recent but i think they may be able to talk some of these guys and saying i think i don't know maybe they may all stay mm-hmm. for the season and you have a happy deep running back room that you can basically plug and play anybody and, and be good um, but if you look at other areas of kind of concern, the lines are kind of, you know, ha- hampered by injury right now, so it's kind of hard to tell offensive and defensive lines. Um, but then you, you look at quarterback, it's fine. Running back is, you know, we talked about wide receiver, it's hard to... So a lot of position groups are, like, kind of hard to gauge right now just because of the amount of people that they're missing. And and that's... Kurt Signetti said it's, like, the the most unique spring he's ever gone through just with the amount of guys out. And it's not something you want, but I guess they'd rather be safe now than lose 12 to 14 guys come fall. Yeah, and, you know, maybe when you're also looking at a situation where a lot of the guys that are out are guys who have been in the program, you've seen them play. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that you're getting a lot of other guys' reps now mm-hmm. maybe isn't that so isn't so bad in the long run, as long as everybody comes back healthy. Um, I'll put you on the spot. A little bit here now that, that you've had a few weeks several practices to see these guys yeah we went through before spring football and when the sunbelt schedule came out in early march we went through and both kind of came to the conclusion we thought with jmu's schedule they're probably around a 500 team give or take a game either way like five six six and five yeah <clears throat> so having seen more on the field action seeing these guys practice a little bit are you still feeling like that's where they probably are in their first fbs season or do you think they're better or worse than that i think for now i think around 500 is probably a safe a safe prediction going into the year of course they could get hot and play a lot better they also could not play as well i think that the biggest thing will be when we start to see the two deep we start to see who actually is the starting quarterback and you can kind of build around that because i mean you can start a guy who's got FBS experience already, a final year of college football, or you start a guy who played four games last year as a true freshman. So, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I think quarterback will be the biggest determination, determining factor if I change my prediction. But right now, I'm going to stay steady at at around 500. All right, that's, that's good. Good, good to hear. I think for Jamie fans, anyway, at least that they're 
you're you're not you're not in any kind of panic mode. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in panic mode in on April on April sixth. Yeah. Right, when the, when the season kicks off in September, but overall, I think this Jamie team looks pretty well from what we've seen, and, and the quarterbacks probably the spot everyone's looking at, and both of them look good. So yeah, and I still think it's going to be such an interesting season for them next year because just every game almost looks like one that could go either way for yeah. them and you know which is not something uh maybe outside of a couple games yeah which is not something jmu's like really um really really ever experienced in a long time where yeah you're not playing maine and villanova anymore yeah but you're just looking at it like it looks like a schedule and a team where maybe they could get on a roll mm-hmm. or maybe they could you know go on a slide like just yeah way the ball bounces could you know make a huge difference um which makes it interesting and exciting and also probably incredibly nerve-wracking if you're a JMU fan to think about, you know, you're used to, you know, double-digit wins every year and, you know, lamenting a loss like it's the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, you might have to change the perspective a little bit going forward here, uh, at least for a year or two, until you can get on, establish yourself yeah, as I feel a like uh, FBA. Of the eleven games, I feel like seven, eight of them could be a one-score game. Either way. Yeah, because I don't know. I don't know how many uh, papers that cover Sun Belt teams are doing the weekly podcast like this, but they could all, almost all, especially in the East, be saying about the same things about their teams going into the season, which is, which is fun. Um, but I think that'll just about do it for us this week. Um, as I said before, I'm Shane Metlin. That was Noah Fleischman. You've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. Thank you for listening.